You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn East. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke and experience true discipleship. And before we welcome Pastor Kevin to the stage, will you join me in reading from today's passage, Matthew 24, 1 through 14. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold." But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Peace be with you. Let's pray before we jump in. Father, you are a God who speaks to us, who reveals yourself to us. You've made yourself known. You've made it clear that we can know you and that you know us. You're also a God who rules over all, that you are sovereign, that you are in control of everything from the death of a sparrow to the number of hairs on our head. And there's so much, Lord, in our world, in our lives that we're carrying, that we're struggling with, that we're fighting against, that we're weighed down by. And you, Lord, in your word, you speak to us and you say things. like you. One of the things you've told us in your word is that you have not given us a spirit of fear or timidity. You've given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And that while our world feels out of control, you've called us as your people to be salt and light. So I pray as we open your word this morning, this really challenging text, these challenging teachings from your son, pray that you would give us a spirit of humility, that we can receive what you're teaching us, and that your spirit would give us power and love and self-control as we leave here today and seek to follow you and carry your name and your gospel to the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Matthew 24. Um, it's a fascinating chapter in the Bible. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn there because we're going to 
cover a lot of Matthew 24, try to do it pretty quickly. So we'll be moving around. The, the scripture will be on the screens, but it's Jesus' teaching about the destruction of the temple and the end times, the last days. And interest in the end times and last days has risen a lot over the last 150 years. And I think there's a few reasons for this. One is it's because the end times is kind of a big deal. It's the end of the world. Like it's something that it's not a wrong thing for Christians to want to know or people to want to press in and understand. I think another reason though is that our world is crazy. Like our world is crazy. Every week something crazy happens. This week you've got Redditors who might be poking a hole in the entire stock market and bringing the global economy to its knees. Like, that's crazy. And I don't know if it's crazier now than it's ever been. I just, I do know that technological advances of the last 150 years, <laughs> they bring the craziness to us an awful lot more. You think about it. 150 years ago, you didn't have radio, you didn't have TV, you didn't have the, like, you only got so much information, and now it's everywhere all of the time, and it's just too much. It's way too much information. There's way too much sorrow and pain and just weirdness in the world, and I don't think that God wired us to be able to hold all of that. But we see it. It comes at us, and, and different people respond different ways. Some people check out from the news. You know, they, they don't, they just kind of, turn it off. Some people obsess over the news. There's the, there are those insane people, and there's probably some of you here that, that turn notifications on on their phone. You know, yeah, I want the latest news stories. Go ahead and send them through while I'm eating dinner. Some people obsess over it. And I think some people, they go weird places because there's so much, and we're, we're trying to make sense of a world that doesn't make sense. And so it leads to conspiracy theories, and we all know the rise in those over the last 20, 30 years especially. And I think it's led to a real spike in, the, in our interest of the end times. You think about the, the Left Behind series, which I think shaped an entire generation, um, but I don't think that it's necessarily in line with what Jesus teaches. You think about, I, I don't know about you, I didn't grow up in the church, but I did know for me, the mark of the beast growing up, I don't know what it was for you. For me, it was uh, barcodes, right? That's what everyone thought. The barcodes are the mark of the beast. And there was a lot of talk. And now, I don't know, for a while it was iPhones. And now it's those new codes, QR codes. Is that what they're called? I don't remember. Uh, or the COVID vaccine. That's actually going to be the mark of the beast. Like every, every generation comes up with something. This is, this is the mark of the beast. This is, we're always looking, trying to make meaning out of a world that doesn't make sense. And so the gift we have today is Jesus, he actually tells us. He tells us how to live in a world that seems crazy. He talks about the end of the world and how we're to think about the end of the world. And he puts some callings before us that are wonderful and they're also challenging, but they're also incredibly comforting. And so we're going to work through this a little bit and just go to the text and so if you have read a lot of things, if, you know, you got a signed copy of Left Behind and you know Jenkins and LaHaye and those guys, just set all of that info aside for the next 30 minutes. 
And let's just go to Jesus's words and see what he has to say. Now, we got to get a little running start. Last week, Jesus had a final showdown with the Pharisees. Matthew 23, starting in verse 37, after he pronounces woes on them, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing? See, now, therefore, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Your house there is the temple. It's the center of the world for Jewish people in that day. And Jesus is saying, your house, I'm leaving it desolate. He says, you will not see me again. And we know in Matthew's gospel, this is the end. Those are the last things Jesus says in his public ministry. He doesn't go in public and teach again. He doesn't do works again. These were his final words to Jerusalem and to the religious establishment. Now, picking it up in verse 1 of chapter 24, Jesus left the temple. So he makes this pronouncement with his disciples. They leave the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. And so I don't know where they were. They're probably, you know, they're walking away. And at some point, the disciples look back over the temple. And you have to understand that the temple was the most incredible architectural wonder in the ancient world. It was the most magnificent, most beautiful building in the world at this time. And the disciples, I don't know why they pointed at it. We don't know what their heart was, but they point at the temple like, ah, the temple. Are we really leaving it? And Jesus... He answered them. He said, you see all these, all of the buildings in the temple complex. Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And this is quite, quite the prophecy, quite the pronouncement to make. I mean, the temple, like I said, center of the world. It's, it's the place where God dwelt. It's where God lived in a special way. It's where heaven and earth met. And for the Jews to hear Jesus saying the temple's going away, that, I mean, it's the center of their faith, the center of their world. He says, that's what's coming. It's all coming down. And it's going to be the greatest catastrophe that God's people have ever known. Verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying... <laughs> big claim for Jesus to make with them. They pull him aside like they often do. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? How many questions do the disciples ask Jesus there? It's, It's two. Question number one, when will these things be? When will the temple come down that you just spoke of? And then the second question is, what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? When will the temple come down? And when are you coming back? I'm going to remake the world. And there are two separate questions, but for the disciples, they're almost certainly connected. 
Because I would imagine for the, for the disciples, it was really hard to envision the temple being destroyed and that not being the end of the world. And so they ask these two questions. And Jesus responds to both questions. And I don't think his response is nearly as confusing as a lot of people make it. The first question, when will these things be? When will the temple be brought down? And in verses 4 through 34, Jesus answers that question. When, when will these things be? We know this because in verse 34, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. When will these things take place? Jesus says it's going to happen in a generation. How long is a generation in the Bible? 40 years? It's a good biblical number. 37 years after Jesus spoke these words, the temple was destroyed. Then in verses 36 to 44, when will be the day, the hour, the timing of your return? In 36, Jesus says, but concerning that day, an hour, <laughs> no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. That's kind of an amazing verse. When will the end of the age be? Jesus says, I don't even know. Only he knows, and he hasn't even told me. And that creates some theological issues, maybe for some of you. But the big point Jesus makes in the second half of the chapter is nobody knows. No one knows the day, no one knows the hour when he will return. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, we might not know the day or the hour, but we can know the week or the season of his return. And I would say, I don't think so. I won't say you're wrong. We can disagree on this. Christians disagree on this. I don't think so. And I will tell you, I have 2,000 years of people claiming, making claims like that, who've been proven wrong to back me up. We can't make claims. The time is near. I mean, you continue on. Verses 37 through 39, Jesus, he explains actually. He says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Just hit pause there for a second. Does that sound like crazy times or pretty normal good times? Pretty normal good times, right? Marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. And so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man says it's going to be the same. No one's going to expect it. It's just going to happen. Verse 44, therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So I think all we can take away from this, if we want to like discern the times of Christ's return, the only thing we can take away from this is that Jesus is going to return at a time that no one knows, nobody expects, and it's going to be incredibly different. 
Now, it's important we keep this clear because there are, I think, two errors that come when it concerns the end times that Christians make. One is we lose sight of Christ's promised return and we grow complacent. We kind of think we're going to live here forever and live like this forever. We'll talk about that more next week. The second error we make is that we can obsess over Christ's return. And we can give it way more attention than it's given in the Bible. And we can actually allow end times talk to distract us from our calling. And that's what I want to talk about this week. Because I think that many people with the best of intentions, they want to understand the end times. They want to be ready. They want to keep their, their wicks trimmed and all of those metaphors. But I think a lot of people... In studying a passage like Matthew 24, they miss the whole point of Matthew 24. They miss everything Jesus is trying to teach. What's Jesus' aim here? Let's put this back in the story. Back in the history. Jesus is with his disciples. They're leaving Jerusalem. He says, it's, it's all coming down. And I want you to know. Jesus' aim for his disciples, he's preparing them for what's coming after his death and his resurrection and his ascension, for what a life of obedience is going to look like. And he's telling them it's going to be really, really hard. In this world, you will have trouble, and I don't want you to be unaware of that. Now, we didn't, Lindsay didn't read this for us, but if you skip down to verse 15, you read these things that are kind of, if it's your first time reading it, it sounds really strange. Jesus says, which sounds terrifying. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the hole. Hit pause there. Abomination of desolation. Is that some kind of mythical beast? Is it the Antichrist? What in the world is Matthew talking about? Well, he tells us. He tells us, Matthew tells us what Jesus is talking about. He says, let the reader understand, spoken of in Daniel. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go read the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, this phrase is used at least four times to refer to the desecration or destruction of the temple. Now, this has happened a few times before Christ stepped into the world. But Jesus, what he's saying here is that's going to happen again. There's going to be... <laughs> another destruction of the temple, which is his way of reaffirming everything that he had said earlier. And so he's warning them. Now, we know from history that in 70 AD, Rome got tired of the constant insurrections and rebellions of the Jewish people. They got tired of the skirmishes. And so they ended up uh, putting the entire city of Jerusalem under siege for five months. At the end of those five months, they pretty much destroyed the entire city and they destroyed the temple. We know that happened, 70 AD. And Jesus knows it's going to happen. And he's warning his disciples. Verse 15, he says, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, when you see the temple, be the holy place being the temple, being desecrated, he writes these kind of, almost like bone-chilling words. 
When you see that, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant or for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight might not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. Jesus is saying, when you see, when you see the temple coming down, when you see Rome rolling in, what are you supposed to do? Run. Run to the hills, get out of the city, because it's going to be the greatest catastrophe in the history of my people. The historian Josephus tells us that over a million people died during the siege of Jerusalem. There's some descriptions of what the blood was like in the city. And so Jesus, he's really doing his disciples a favor here, saying when the temple comes down, it's going to be horrible and you need to go hide in the mountains. He's preparing them. Now that context is really important because Jesus is telling them, essentially, don't think that a life of faithfulness is going to be an easy life. Things are going to get very, very hard. It's going to be brutal. There are times you're going to have to run for your life as my people. I mean, put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. One minute you're talking and you're like, man, the temple sure is beautiful. And then the next minute Jesus says, no, it's all coming down. And there's going to be war and there's going to be bloodshed. He's telling them, basically, life's going to be so hard. Things will feel so crazy that it's going to feel like I've bailed on you, that I've forsaken you. But I haven't. And I want you to stay the course. And if you wanted to sum up the entire chapter, chapter 24, the summary is that, stay the course. It's not a puzzle that needs to be decoded. It's an exhortation. You see, Jesus, he cares deeply about how we, as his disciples, behave in this world. He cares about how we live, about how we conduct ourselves. And he's saying, I want you to stay the course. Now, with all that background, Jesus gives three warnings that we're going to look at as we make the turn in the sermon, round third. Three warnings Jesus gives. Stay the course. Warning number one, when the world, when it feels like the world is going crazy, number one, don't be led astray. Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Why does Jesus say, don't be led astray? I know it's a simple question. (laughs) Because he knows they're going to be tempted to be led astray. Jesus knows that there are others who are going to come, and history records this for us, that there are others who are going to emerge in Jerusalem between the time of this teaching and the destruction of the temple, who come and they say, I am actually the Christ. And many are going to follow them. And he wants his disciples to know, they're not me. 
I am who I said I am. But he knows his disciples are also going to be tempted to not necessarily believe him because they know that Jesus, I mean, he's the king, he's riding in, he's got the crowds, promises, miracle, power, all of this amazing stuff. And yet Jesus knows that he's going to, just a couple days after this, he's going to be put to death. He's going to be buried. He is going to raise from the grave, which is amazing and wonderful. And then he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father, which is also incredible and amazing and mind-blowing. But then, he'll give his spirit to his church. But then if you actually look at the world, like the events of the world, a year, two years after Jesus' ascension, if you study world history then, nothing really changed. Like if you zoom out far enough. Same people stayed in power. Rome was still breathing down the neck of God's people. All the evil and darkness that was in the world before Christ came was still in the world. And so Jesus knows. I mean, gosh, the Pharisees are still going to be teaching in the temple. Jesus knows that some are going to come and say, I'm actually the Messiah. Jesus, he wasn't the Messiah. Are you kidding me? The guy who was murdered and shamed? Isn't he the one who said the temple was coming down? Yeah, well, well why are we standing in the temple? <laughs> he wasn't the Christ, but I'll tell you who is. Jesus said, don't. Please, please don't be led astray. Don't think anything I've taught you was wrong or misguided. All of it's to be expected. Life's going to be crazy. Modern day word for us in this is if a pastor or YouTube prophet says, give me your credit card number, you can get in on the ground level of this movement. Don't believe them. Don't listen. Don't, don't buy into conspiracy theories. Life is going to be really hard. It's not going to make sense. It's going to feel crazy. But don't be led astray. Number two, first warning, don't be led astray. Second warning, don't be alarmed. And this one's harder for me. I think it's harder for most of us. He says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See, see that you're not alarmed. For this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. What part of human history is Jesus describing here? All of it, right? I mean, this is human history. Jesus is saying, listen, the world is going to continue to do what the world does. There's going to be wars. You're going to hear rumors of wars. I hear some people say, well, all the conflict in the Middle East, that means it's got to be close to the second coming. I would say go study the history of the Middle East. It's been nothing but conflict for thousands of years. So Jesus says, when the world feels like it's out of control, spinning out of control, there's wars, there's famines, there's earthquakes, there's tsunamis, there's catastrophes, there's mass shootings, there's global pandemics. When that happens, don't be alarmed. The end, the end is not yet. Don't think all the chaos and conflict and drama and trauma, don't, don't think that means the end is near. 
No, instead, Jesus says, verse 8, all of these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. Such an interesting illustration, you know. Think of Braxton Hicks contractions, as we call them in our house, Tony Braxton contractions. And only in a church with as many as kids as we have can I make this illustration, but I mean, it's like, it's from what I hear, I don't know. Uh, it's very painful. It can be painful. It's discomforting. It doesn't mean that the baby is necessarily here. I mean, sometimes it can happen really, really early in a pregnancy. And Jesus is saying, that's what all of the craziness in the world is kind of like. It's those pains. It's uncomfortable. All the, the turmoil, the conflict, the crises, they're pains. And they're preparing us for a future that God has promised us. And when you read Jesus, when you read the New Testament authors, Paul, you can actually go back to the Old Testament prophets. And this is one of the ways that they repeatedly talked about the end of the world. Some people think that the end of the world, this is where we have a lot of confusion around the second coming, maybe left behind wasn't quite so helpful. But some think that the end of the world, the world ends with Jesus whisking us away to a different ethereal world. Others think it's going to end in just a bloody and violent war. But Jesus says something entirely different. He says, the world as we know it actually ends in a new birth. It ends in a rebirth. All the pandemics and plagues, the wars, the famines, the floods, the more wars, the hurricanes, the tsunamis, even more wars, all of these things, those are labor pains. But it's preparing us for the great promise God has given that he is going to remake our world and rid it of all of those things, all sin, all tears, all sickness, and death itself. And so don't be alarmed. Don't freak out when life's crazy. And don't take your eyes off of what Jesus has called you to do and what he's, who he's called you to be. That's what he's saying here. Are you guys tracking with me on that? Don't be alarmed. Now, it's really important we, we take this to heart because if the pandemic, you know, people are like, there's nothing, never been anything like this in history. There's, there's been plenty. It's just not in most of our lifetimes. Well, the world's never been crazier. I don't know. The whole world was at war, and there really was someone who was pretty darn close to the Antichrist putting people into ovens. Like, the world's had its pretty horrible moments. I don't want to fall prey to chronological arrogance or narcissism, thinking this is the worst ever. History's brutal. But Jesus wants us to know these things are normal. They're to be expected. And so don't be alarmed. And the reason he says this is because if we think this is the end times, this is what I see again and again and again. And you guys see it. We see it all over the world. Because something happens in a Christian's mind that if, if these are actually signs of the end times, that means we can disregard a whole bunch of what Jesus says and impose spiritual martial law. Because it's almost the end. 
And so we, we might have to bend the rules a little bit to help Jesus get the ball over the line. So maybe we got to become violent or load up our guns or our weapons. I know Jesus called us to love our enemies, but it's the end, man. And they're part of the, the dragon's army, so we're going to fight against them. I know how Jesus tells us how we're to treat one another, but it's the end so we can slander people. Gossip about them. Insult them. You name it. It's the end so we can take the teachings of the New Testament that we don't like or we feel are inefficient, like loving our neighbors, loving our enemies, doing good, crossing the road to help us help someone quite unlike us. We can throw it all out the window because it's the end, man. We've got to prioritize. And I think so much of the craziness that we see in the church, the world's to be expected, the craziness. So much of the craziness we're seeing in, in the big C church in America is fueled by this, or it's justified by it. It's the end times. We can do what we want. And so for the younger generation here, if you're middle school, high school, college, this is, this is a really hard time. And I just want to say, Christians can be very confusing. The way they they live, the way they talk, (laughs) we've all got a fair share of hypocrisy in us. But I want to say, you, you don't be alarmed either. And don't let the crazy people who claim the name of Jesus and get on TV and talk about them or get on the internet, talk. don't let them alarm you. Don't let them lead you away from him. If you're here and you're a really anxious or fearful person or you struggle with that a lot, Jesus is telling you, don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. Life's hard, but I'm in control and I'm with you. And I will always be with you, even until the end of the age. Stay the course. So number one, don't be alarmed. Number two, don't freak out. And lastly, Jesus says, number three, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Verse 11, he says, They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Again, I I so want to humanize the disciples here. Three years ago, you're fishing. (laughs) And some guy's like, put down your nets and come follow me. Fast forward three years later, he's sitting here. The world as you know it is going to collapse. Temple's going to be gone. And because you have become my disciples and you followed me, you're going to be put, some of you will be tortured. Some of you are going to be put to death. You're going to be hated by all nations for my name's sake. It's going to be really hard, but don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Some will fall away. Some will betray one another and hate each other. Many false prophets will arise 
and lead many astray? And because lawlessness will be increased, because the world will seem like it's more out of control than ever, he says the love of many will grow cold. People will be so overwhelmed by the breaking news, they'll be so beat down by all of the discouragement that their love will grow cold. They'll lose heart. I know a lot of people who seem like that's something they're really struggling with right now. I mean, that's kind of a, a trope in movies, you know, of the, the somewhat atheist character. It's like, well, do you believe in God? I don't know. I used to, but when I look at the world the way it is now, I don't, I don't know if I can believe in him. Jesus is saying, don't. Trust me. Don't lose heart. I'm with you. I'm at work. Yes, people are crazy. Yes, hardships are going to come. Stay the course. Don't be alarmed. Don't freak out. Don't lose heart. Why does Jesus tell his disciples these three things? It's that verse 13. Because he wants them to endure. He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus wants them to make it. He wants them to cross the finish line. And I would say he wants more than that too. I mean, Jesus has promised to remake the world, but he's also said that we as his disciples, we are going to be, I mean, we're Christians. It means little Christ. We're the body of Christ. We're the hands and feet of Christ. We're salt and light in the world. And so Jesus doesn't want us to just hang on. It's going to be crazy. Just hold on. It'll be over soon. He actually has called us to go and engage the craziness and to go bring light into the darkness. And that's, that's his plan. And it's, it doesn't necessarily make sense to me at one level of my thinking. There's a lot of ways God could accomplish his will. This one Seems, seems kind of funny, but that's what he chose. He's going to save people, redeem them, give them new hearts, and then send them out into the world to share the gospel, to serve those in need. And he's telling his disciples, because they're going to be the apostles who do this, he's like, I need you to stay the course. I need you to endure. And there's, such, there's one verse of just such profound hope in a pretty challenging, dark chapter of Scripture. Verse 14. Jesus says, In this gospel of the kingdom, this good news of God's reign returning to earth, healing the land, healing people, healing relationships, healing souls, this good news of the kingdom... It's going to be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And after that's done, then the end will come. I mean, this is not just prove yourself faithful in the sense that, like, don't go off the deep end. It's not just about make sure you stay obedient, although it is that. It's so much more. Jesus is saying, I am sending you to go be a stabilizing force in a destabilized world. 
I am sending you to be a people of hope in a world that is filled with so much hopelessness. I am sending you to be a people marked by love and who show love in a world that is often loveless. It's through you, church. And it's not going to feel like it. I mean, he, but he's told us, right? The, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It starts really, really small, takes a long time to grow, but eventually it gets huge. It's like yeast. It's almost imperceptible, but it goes out and the good word, I mean, God tells us that his word doesn't return to him void. When we proclaim the gospel, there's always going to be fruit. We might not see the fruit, but there will always be fruit. His word does not come back to him void. I think for us as the church, really what he's called us to be, we're, we're to be almost model homes of what life in the new, new heavens, the new earth will look like. If you ever been to a model home, you know, it's like just a bunch of dirt, a huge field, and then one amazing home with all of the nicest stuff that you could never afford when you were buying a home, but they just deck it out. And you walk in and they even have candles burning and it's kind of weird and, and it's almost, you know, it's kind of bizarre because it's like this home's amazing and then you look out and it's just nothing but dirt and construction equipment. But the whole point of those homes is they want you to envision what the future can be like. Envision what's being prepared and what's being built. And Jesus, he calls us to be model homes in this world of the kingdom of God. And so church, our world's crazy. It's a crazy place. It's just going to be crazy. It's going to continue to be crazy. Next week, there'll be something new that's crazy that happened. Don't be alarmed. Don't lose heart. Don't be led astray. So we come to the Lord's table. We're reminded of the promise that Jesus is with us always. We're reminded of the great hope that he's promised to return. So there will be a second coming. And what we know at the second coming, that he is going to sit down with us and he's going to break bread, just like he did the night that he was betrayed. On the night, he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Do this, and remember, do this to remember me. Remember who I am, what I've done, what I've called you to. And he also makes the promise that Jesus does that he won't eat of this meal again until we're with him. He makes the promise that we're going to feast with him when, we're, when we go there. And so this meal, it's a time for us to remember, I've got a calling today, but I have great hope. And there's a meal being prepared for us. Let me pray. I'm Kevin Jameson, lead pastor at Sojourn East. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support the ministry of Sojourn East, visit sojournchurch.com east.